Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Garden Better, your gardens and outdoor lifestyle podcast from Better Homes and Gardens magazine. I'm Adam Woodhams, and with me is Jenny Dillon. Hi, Adam. How are you? I'm fantastic, thanks. And what are we talking about today, Adam? Today, we're going to have a talk about all sorts of things to do with dry gardens and how to avoid them. We're going to talk about water-saving tips, how you can make the most of water, how you can conserve water once you've got it in your garden. We are also going to look at those absolute it plants, the succulents, And then we're going to have a chat with a bloke called Michael Dent from a company called Allo Allo that specialises in amazing ornamental aloes. And don't forget, later on, we've got Milton Black. He'll come on and talk about his gardening by the moon. It just wouldn't be an episode without Milton. Absolutely. Dry weather. Mm. Mm. It's becoming more of a problem. I think we have to face the reality that, that our continent is a very dry continent and it's becoming more and more of an issue as uh, our cities stretch out and mm. we push our water resources and the, the weather and the climate seem to be changing. So it's common sense to try and make the most of every drop, isn't it, Jen? Absolutely. It's just it's just scary sometimes when you think of, of what's happening, especially out in the country. Oh, it, it is really quite amazing. I've been reading a book recently uh, called uh, Dark Emu about oh, uh, the, the book. Bruce Pascoe. Yes, fantastic. fantastic. Yes, about how the our, our First Nations people were doing a lot of agricultural work out in regions that we consider too dry to be farming in. And it's quite amazing how they, through using different crops, had a totally different regime of land use. But we might talk about that one at a later date. But let's have a talk about what folks can do in their own gardens. I tend to look at this as there being two sort of sides to it. There's the the way we're using water and there's making sure that water isn't actually being lost and wasted. Mm. So you you need to sort of look at both sides of that equation to keep things as sustainable as possible in the garden. So some of the easy ways to reduce usage um, – Hoses. I, I reckon hoses and fittings are one of the forgotten weak points in water conservation. You know, people pay attention maybe to their, their trigger nozzle that they, mm-hmm. they know they're using to put the water on, but they forget sometimes about the, the bit attached to the, the tap itself and the hose and, and where things are leaking. And it's amazing how much water you can lose just through those, those simple points. Yes. Yeah. And, and if you just see a little puddles around, then, it's going somewhere that water, <laughs> but it's going somewhere all the time. Yeah, and it's and it's something that you don't want to be happening. So mm. you know, check out your garden taps. Make sure that you, the washers are in good condition. You know, can you open and close that tap easily? That means that the that washer is seating the way it's supposed to. Mm. Because you know, a dripping tap it, it might only seem like it's a, a few liters here and there, but that adds up over over a period of time. And you don't hear it dripping in the garden. It's not like you're sleeping out there. No. Well, the giveaway can be you have a, a you know. A beautiful tuft of grass underneath, yeah. <laughs> underneath the tap head. 
<laughs> but um, also have a look at the the actual fittings themselves. So you see those tiny little black O-rings around the, the edges of fittings, and mm. this includes your handheld fittings too. It's worth every year or so um, getting a very fine screwdriver or something like that and taking off, carefully taking off those O-rings and replacing them with new mm. ones. You can actually buy packs at the oh, yeah. hardware at store the or hardware. the garden centre. Mm. So look at changing those every year and check your hose for leaks. It's it's very easy for hoses to, to pick up leaks, especially when you do things like, you know, run over them with the ride on lawnmower all the time, which I'm sure oh, everyone you've done does. That? Yeah. <laughs> You know, the funny thing, I always buy really good quality hoses and I found out exactly how good the quality of my hoses actually After you've run them over. After I've run them been, and they've stopped my lawnmower dead. Wow. (laughs) They're they're that tough that it basically stopped it running. So, um, yes, that's a lesson for everybody out there. Don't run over your hose with a lawnmower. Choose a hose that's a bright colour. Yes. (laughs) Actually, that's interesting. They only produce green I don't. So you could camouflage them in the garden, and it's the in some respects it's the dumbest colour. So I, I always pick bright coloured hoses. Now oh, you can you can find them in bright. That's colours. a great idea. I'd never thought of that. Uh, you know, a tip too. I, I, again, when I used to work in retail garden centre, a lot of people would come back in, and you'd see them virtually every other week saying, "Ah, oh, the dog ate my hose fittings again. It <laughs> loves the hose. I keep chewing off the hose fittings." And I'd say, "Let me introduce you to brass hose fittings." <laughs> Right. Never lose another hose fitting to the dog's teeth again. Mm. They only try that once. Yes. Well, then they'll just go after your shoes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now, I like to also um, make sure every tap around our place, every outdoor tap, has a basic mechanical timer fitted to it. You know the ones where you just turn the dial and yeah. it goes tick, 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 and yeah. it times back down to zero? Even when you're watering... I will turn that on for 10 minutes or 15 minutes and restrict the amount of time I'm watering for. Now, that means that, well, for one, I'm restricting my watering time, so I know I'm only going to water for for that period of time. But also, it means that if I put the hose down and forget about it, I know it's not going to end up accidentally running. Of course, you have a trigger fitting, so it's not going to be running all the time. But it's not good to leave pressure onto hoses. That's when your fittings can burst off and yes, things they like can. that. Mm. So if you've got that timer on, it takes the pressure off when the, the hose goes click and it, it turns itself off. So I recommend fitting a, a timer to all of your outdoor taps um, and use that when you're doing any sort of outdoor watering at all. And, of course, as I said, using a, a trigger gun, in fact, which under legislation in the lot I think of you areas, have to use You it have now. to use, mm. yeah. You have to use some sort of fitting that can be totally shut off while, mm. you, while you're watering. Um, now, this is something that comes down to as well um, the method with making sure you're not wasting water is a lot of people tend to do the ceremonial blessing of the garden. You know, they turn the hose on and they wave it around ah. left to right and up and down. Yeah, and they use like, them like leaf blowers. Yeah, it just it wave just them around. Yeah. It's just <laughs> it's like the smells and bells with the hose. <laughs> yeah, you don't do it that way. What you need to do is make sure if you're going to be hand watering. You deliver the water to where it's required. And that doesn't mean the plant foliage. It doesn't mean the, the areas of garden bed in between the plants. Just water yeah. around the base of the plants. Mm. And that's what you need to be doing. And we're using one of those trigger guns with a cutoff between plants. If you've got to move a few metres, turn it off and then fire it back on again mm. when you're around the base of the next plant. And that will actually save you quite an enormous amount of water because you simply do not need to be watering the garden between plants. It's no. really... And not like my neighbour who waters the fence. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Or people that set their sprinkler up to water their driveway or the footpath. Oh. 
That's always always one of my uh, my pet hates. I must admit. I must admit. Now a big one. Time of day of watering. This is a really interesting. I've long said that if you took ten gardeners and horticulturalists and locked them in a room and said, "What's the best time of day?" They to wouldn't water, agree. You would open the door and there'd only be one left alive. And it's one of those seriously contentious issues. It, it's <laughs> Look, you know, I don't care what the final decision is. I water when it's convenient for me. Mm. I mean, obviously early in the morning or in the afternoon. I think the most convenient time for me is in the afternoon, yeah. early evening, and I've got a glass of wine and I'm watering at the same uh, time. Yes, yeah, see, that's it. It's very therapeutic, isn't mm. it? That's, that's, one of the, that's one of the things with the evening water, that it's, you know, the icy beverage of choice in one hand and the hose in the other. I'll tell you my, my take on it, and people can a- adopt this if they wish. Um, watering in the morning, basically. Mm. Plants are designed to wilt. That's, that's the way they're mm. engineered, just as the way we're designed to perspire. Plants are designed to wilt. So if you're walking down the street, the middle of the street, and you're sweating on a hot day, you don't really want someone to come rushing up to you and throw a bucket of water over you to cool down, do you? <laughs> <laughs> because as soon as you get into the shade and somewhere, you're going to cool down. And it's the same with plants. They can reach a point of wilt and they're quite happy and then overnight they'll perk back up again as soon as, mm. as, soon as it cools down. If you actually water in the afternoon, the soil is hot, the environment is hot, you're likely wasting water through evaporation because that, that water is, is not going to be absorbed by the soil as well. Some of it is going to be lost to evaporation. You're increasing localised humidity around your plants, so increasing the possibility of, of fungal problems because you're going to have uh, too much moisture sitting around the plants overnight. Now, compare that to watering first thing in the morning. The plants have recovered from the day before, so they've lost their wilt. And what you then then do is charge them up for the day ahead. So you give them a good drink and they're basically pumping themselves up for the day that's coming so they're ready to face that weather as opposed to re- trying to recover from the weather. So I must admit, in hot weather, when, when it's getting to that, you know, must water relatively frequently, I'm, I'm very much a water in the morning type person. Yeah, but, that, you know, that's fine. But, you know, so many people are actually when you're watering are on the train or mm. in their car. Getting yeah, it. no, that is that is very true. But the same can be applied if people do have a, an automatic watering system. Set your system to run in the morning rather than rather than run in the evening. Well, that's, that's not gardening. <laughs> that's employing slave labour. <laughs> Those little electrodes switching on your system. <laughs> I mean, gardening is going out there with a glass of wine and a hose in the evening and watering. Well, I'll tell you what, you, we'll, we'll, come around, you we'll come it? around and we'll put an automatic <laughs> system on at your place, Jen, that turns on in the morning and then I'll buy you a nice little watering can. So you can have in one hand, you can have your shardy and in the other hand, you can have a nice little watering can and you can still feel like you're doing it. Oh, okay. Is that going to work? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> But there, there are some of the easy ways to be to be saving water and and making sure that water is being maximised. Of course, you want to mulch. Mulch, 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 mulch is one of the best ways to make sure you're saving saving water in the garden. And then have a look at the water saving products, and that kind of falls into two categories. There's the the products that assist with um, water absorption. So that's that's things like the penetrative products that often are granular, sometimes mm-hmm. liquids, and that helps break the the water repellency of the soil. So that the water can get down into, into the soil. The soil yeah. And then there's the the reservoir products, as I, I like to call them, which is things like water crystals. But you can also do that, of course, with natural composts and things that mm. help to hold on because good quality soil that's well organically boosted will 
hold on to moisture very well. Yeah. Um, but the reservoir products, if you're going to use those water crystals, make sure, particularly if you're growing food crops, that they're polyacrylamide free because there's some issues that are uh, being questioned about health and the polyacrylamides in those uh, some of those water crystals. So, mm. But there's some of the, the tips you can do. And, and like I said, healthy soil. Healthy soil is always going to be the best way to retain moisture and make the most of the water that's available. And also, I just think one point that, that we haven't brought up yet is if is get a water tank. Mm, mm. I mean, I'm in the process. It's, oh, it's awful, but I've, I've I've got one water tank. I'm in the process and talking about another one, but it's to feed a garden that's about one and a half meters higher than what the ground level is where the tank will be. So I've got to get foundations strong enough to hold a ton of water, but it's worth it. Having mm. two tanks is better than having one. Well, I think I think we'll have a chat about tanks and and water use sometime in the future as well. Why don't we Why do we make that one of our topics for an upcoming okay. chat? Sure. Well, Jen, that's some great tips I reckon to keep people going this summer across those hot, dry months. Fantastic. Jen, succulents. Love them. Yeah, they're having a bit of an it plant research. I don't aren't think they? they ever went out of fashion. No, look, I, I must admit, to to us gardeners, they've always been one of those mainstays that are a phenomenal problem solver in in many respects because they'll do stuff that other plants just will not do. But I think the whole Instagram thing has seen a resurgence oh, yeah. of, of yeah. succulents because mm-hmm. people are seeing these beautiful photos and they're going, "Wow, is that is that real? Is that it's that you know the the patterns that that they have, you know, like the the um, Fibonacci." patterns that they have is just amazing they just blow my mind and and so many of them you know they they've got foliage color they've got foliage patterns and then they've got patterns of the foliage itself yes. you know like uh, some of them you look at from directly above and the form is just absolutely amazing you know it might be a radial pattern or or like book leaves going out side by side as the foliage ascends up it's just absolutely incredible mm. and and so, yes, the forms are fantastic. You'll find them at any design magazine. You'll find a succulent in a photograph because they look so fantastic. They just go with anything. Yeah, well, that's it. It's a little wonder they've become, you know, the darlings of designers. But they're super hardy too. This is the thing. Most of them are incredibly tolerant of, of harsh conditions. And that's, in fact, why they've evolved that succulent capacity, you know, that they, they many of them can survive hot and dry conditions. Mm-hmm. And succulent, I guess we should kind of explain what that means. The, the succulent relates to the fleshiness of the leaves or the stems, that basically they're stacking water away and that's what makes them so drought and heat tolerant, mm. that when, it's, when it gets hot and dry, they can suck that moisture out from themselves. And in fact, if you see a, a succulent that's become too dry, they go a little wrinkly because they've sucked so much moisture back out of themselves. All their skin's folding up on them. Yeah, and then you, you water them and they, they plump themselves plump out, yes. right back up again, mm. which, is, which is quite interesting. It's worth noting too, this is one of the things that's often talked about is cacti and succulents, mm-hmm. and it's worth noting that, that all cacti are succulents – but not all succulents are cacti. No. No, that's no. right. So it's a general Huge. rule. The, and the general rule of thumb is that if, if it has spines, it's a cactus. That's that's the rough rule of thumb. Because yes. what you see with the cactus, those spines are in fact super, super, super modified leaves. Yes. And the fleshy bit that we think of as being the plant is in fact the stem. Yes. So they've completely differently modified in their For in their, their conditions, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And most of the cactus are the ones that will tolerate those very, very hot, dry conditions. And they'll tolerate 
tolerate less hot, dry conditions as well. I think they're the most wonderful architectural plant. Yeah, well, that, see, that's the thing. They are very adaptable to different conditions, and that's why they are very useful in many gardens. Some of them will even tolerate, uh, you know, cold conditions down to frosty because they come from literally deserts, which, you know, we know that deserts can get to, to freezing conditions overnight. Mm-hmm. You know, you might not necessarily get frost because there's not enough moisture around, but they can still reach very, very low temperatures. I reckon the biggest myth, though, is that people think they're basically a set and forget, you know, whack it in, don't worry about it, never need to do anything at all. No. But no, you know. The, the, I've had a succulent die on me. Yeah. <laughs> I so do sad. Admit, I've, I've done it too. You know, the, the single biggest thing that will, in fact, kill succulents is overwatering. Because they don't, they they like a little bit of water, but mm. they definitely do not like wet feet. So, if you have them in a pot, never ever ever put a saucer underneath. And if you have them in the garden, make sure they've got really good free drainage. Yes. You know, they can't be in a situation that's going to stay wet over for any period of time. Um, and if you buy some of these things, they look absolutely stunning. They they are just quite incredible when you when you buy them. And it's not not unusual to see them in flower as well. Well, and I was just going to bring up the be flowers beautiful. because yeah. so many of the little succulents, like the echeverias and that sort of stuff, they actually look like flowers in themselves. And then suddenly they'll just sprout these amazing things. Yeah. <laughs> they do they do some incredible stuff. And that's that's because of the work that the grower has done. And the grower has been keeping them appropriately watered and has been feeding them. So don't think that your succulent doesn't need to be watered and doesn't need to be fed. They like to be watered and fed just like other plants. Mm-hmm. But all you need to do is the rough rule of thumb I apply with most succulents in the the warmer months in particular is let the soil dry out. It gets to the point of nearly being dry and then give them a good water and then let it dry out again. Across winter, in most cases, you can pretty much let them, let them go dry. And then do give them at least an annual feed with a controlled release type fertilizer, but just use a lower dose. You don't need to go in there. If it says use a tablespoon, then maybe use half a tablespoon. So yeah. just reduce the amount that you're feeding them. And also in terms of the soil, if, you, if you're putting them in, in pots, you can get special soil mixes for succulents. Yes, I recommend that most highly. That it, when, when specialist mixes are out there, for, and this applies to virtually anything, do use one of those specialist mixes. And those, those cacti and succulent mixes are very good because they'll have lots and lots of sand in there, so they're really good, mm. and, good and free draining. You'll often notice when you pick those bags up, they're a bit heavier than a regular potting mix, and that's, mm. that's the reason for that. And uh, look, the interwebs, social media and stuff, you see pictures posted of succulents doing all sorts of amazing things indoors. And I have to say, there are some succulents that do okay indoors, things like the the old uh, snake plant or often called mother-in-law's tongue. <laughs> they will survive as an indoor plant. But the simple fact is that the vast majority of succulents do like outdoor conditions. So they do like a lot of sun and they, they don't particularly like indoor conditions. So be careful if you're going to try and grow some of these succulents inside and and don't take everything you see in somebody's Instagram feed as being achievable when it comes to things like plants. No, for sure. Although I do like mothers in law tongue um as, what did you call it? Snake plant. Snake plant. I, I think oh, okay. it's. I think it's sort of a bit of political correctness has sli- slipped in there because yeah. mother-in-law's tongue. You yeah. Know, 
Yeah. I do like that it is an indoor feature. I think it looks fabulous. It's Particularly the variegated ones. You know, the, yes. the really brightly variegated mm. ones. They're great. Mm. I'll tell you a, a really cool thing you can do with them. If you've got one growing in the garden or in a pot, you can in fact just take a leaf clipping yep. off them, stand them in a nice big vase with, you know, in the old money, two or three inches of water in the bottom or even just some glass pebbles or something like that with a bit of water in there and stand the cuttings in top and they'll start shooting. They'll start rooting really, yep. really quite really quickly. quickly. And they make a really, really cool feature indoors until the plant establishes. And then, of course, you can plant it out. It'll even start sending up new shoots and all sorts of things. And, so. and we're coming up to Christmas soon. Do exactly, it now. yeah. Give Free them, gifts. Give them as gifts, exactly. Garden gifts. It's like you're passing on the love, aren't you, when you share a garden <laughs> gift. But, hey, talking about succulents that do some amazing flowers, the aloes would have to be one of the best flowering groups because they put up really, really nice, big, tall flower spikes. flowers, yes. And there is a local company called Aloelo, which (laughs) you've got to love that name. fabulous. Who has an entire range of these incredible hardy flowering aloes. So I thought we would have a chat with Michael Dent from Aloelo. Okay, fantastic. Hello, Michael. Well, the name says it all. Allo, allo. <laughs> it specialises in what I can only describe as flowering aloes, and they're designer plants too, aren't they? Tell us a bit more about them. Yes, Adam. Uh, well, good morning to you. We have a, a range of 40 different cultivars which we've introduced into uh, this country over the last probably 11 years now, and as you say, all all bred for flowering. You know, aloes were very misunderstood plants. Um, people only knew of aloe vera and one um, uh, hadn't seen uh, many flowering aloes around because many uh, pure species of aloes are not good flowering plants. And uh, so it's only in recent years with this new range that the Australian gardening public has got, got to see um, aloes that flower and, um, you know, now understand them as good garden plants. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned aloe vera there because people are very familiar with it. Now, of course, this is very different to the medicinal um, aloe vera. So we are talking about a plant that's grown exclusively for its uh, its beautiful foliage form and, and then, of course, those those spectacular, spectacular flower spikes. That, that's right. You know, I guess vera is... Um, there's a lot of baggage associated with vera uh, and, in fact, the health uh, properties of aloes. Um, we we market these plants as garden plants and we try and stay away from that because it's a whole world um, mm. not well known and, and, and even there's some um, scientists who are saying, listen, all, all this stuff is not proven. Um, yes, yes. So, so, uh, and, in fact, even in Africa there are some aloes that um, – you know, if if eaten are not healthy for you, mm, so mm. a bit of a minefield. But th- these are good garden plants to be used in the garden the same way one would an agapanthus, which which you also wouldn't eat. Yeah, um, <laughs> no, were... definitely not. No. Now, look, I've, I have to say that the most striking feature I've seen quite a lot of the the aloes in the aloe aloe range, and the flowers are just nothing short of spectacular. We're talking like gigantic. The thing that comes to mind every time I see them, Mike, is fireworks. I mean, that's what they look like, you know, just a giant spray of fireworks and they're just absolutely gorgeous, the colour range. And the big thing I hear from most people when I talk to them about succulents is, oh, when I bought it, it was in flower and I've never been able to get it to flower again. Now, 
Is that the case with these aloes? Are they are they tricky to get them to reflower, or are they just going to do the do the right thing by themselves? Yeah. So the flowering is in the genetics. It's all in the breeding, Adam. This is a forty-five year uh, breeding program in in Africa, uh, and it's not uh, someone who's just stumbled across a cross. Um, and and it's the it's the it's the genetics that make them flower. Um, of course, by giving them good nutrients because they are heavy flowers, they're heavy feeders, and by giving them water, because many people think aloes are desert plants, uh, this range of aloes like water, but by by keeping them healthy, one can enable the flowering, not make them flower, enable them to flower. And what you say is true of many aloe species, because aloe species um, are, are not all good flowers. Some aloes can take 20 years before they reach flowering maturity. Wow, yeah. Um, and um, you know, even then, it can it can have a, an insignificant flower over a couple of days. We have cultivars that flower uh, repeatedly all year round. Um, you know, many put on a big show for six months uh, of repeat flowering. Some even longer, uh, and they all flower at different times of the year. So, really, in a garden, it gives one a a, a plant that can really perform. For, for gardeners. Mm, well, that that's a fantastic designer option, isn't it? It gives people if they if they select their varieties carefully, they could effectively have a rolling display across the entire year. It, Jen and I were talking earlier about the that what is perhaps that great myth that you touched on there with with succulents that uh, people seem to think they don't need food and water, <laughs> but reality is when they've come from the grower, they've been very very carefully nurtured with a uh, kept well watered and appropriately fed and and particularly with a range such as these, they're burning an enormous amount of energy producing those flower spikes. So yes, I'm, I'm sure they do need to they do need to be given a, a regular feed and and kept uh, kept appropriately nurtured, but I, I would assume still relatively low maintenance in the bigger scheme of things. Yes, you know you know they don't um, need water. The, the, the beauty of, of aloes is that they will uh, um, during the rainy times suck up the water and store it in their leaves for the dry times in the same way that a camel does um, store its water. So it's really a water tank in the leaf. Uh, mm. uh, but of course, uh, in, in in our country, we have such long, often very long, uh, dry patches that um, the aloes can stress out. They're not going to die, but if if a gardener were to give them some water to enable them to keep green, they they will be healthier. Mm, so pretty much the the classic of hardy once established, and then some controlled release fertilizer once a year, and that's probably about it for most of them. That that's it, and and then there are things one can do like deadheading the flowers mm. uh, because they are heavy flowers there's lots of um, dead foliage material you know so in the same way aesthetically you might remove the flower from an agapanthus once it's spent you, you could do that from the to the aloe obviously in habitat that no one does that they just fall down and rot yes but yeah. um, no there's not much else one needs to do adam yeah I've, I've found in my experience that generally too when you you deadhead pretty much as soon as that flower is looking a bit a bit scruffy that it tends to encourage a better repeat flowering any rate you know with with agapanthus as you brought up 
Yes. If you want good flowering the next year, you need to get that head off before they set seed. So yes, that's a, that's definitely a very good tip. Um, but now the the flower colours they're pretty much in that sort of warm to hot range, aren't they? So we're going through the nice sort of delicate creamy yellows all the way through to absolute fiery oranges and reds. Is that is that correct? That's right. The, the, in fact, they cover the widest spectrum. The only areas they don't really touch on is the blues. Mm-hmm. But, you know, from whites through to yellows to a lot of oranges and shades of oranges and, and some really uh, true reds and uh, creams, but also bicolors, Adam. A lot of them are bicolors, so red to white bicolors and um, uh, red to orange bicolors, um, and, and that really is exciting. You know, when you go into the the bicolored uh, aloes flowers, they um, they're quite spectacular. Mm. And the the form itself, I've I've noticed that some tend to have a bit more of a clumping form, and then some will in fact almost form a trunk over the years. So they they take some different sorts of forms that lend themselves to different architectural uses, don't they? That's right. Uh, and, and in fact, what we do is encourage gardeners to think that way and to think of them as different plants. A, a plant uh, like one of the cultivars um, we have called fairy pink, which is actually a, a white flower but has a tinge of pink. Mm-hmm. That is planted as a, as a ground cover because it covers the ground um, and it doesn't get very high. Um, you know, there's others that are shrubs that, that form shrubs. And, and then, as you alluded to, there's some that are trees that, uh, you know, would grow to like a palm tree, grow to two, three meters tall with a with a, a single stem, really good um, architectural look and, and, and have that apical dominance. They, um, you, could, you could almost think of them as being like a, a Dr. Seuss plant, couldn't you? <laughs> They've got, they've got right. that. Yeah. That's, that's exactly right. And, um, yeah, those 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 big specimens you can probably see them because, as I say, adders haven't been around for for that long. And in, in you know you've always really the, the the real great plantings in this country are in some of the botanical gardens. Yes, yeah. But yeah, obviously our, the, these cultivars have been around less long, so really one hasn't seen the the um, the really old uh, aloe aloe cultivars um, yes. because they haven't been you know, in the ground for, you know, for longer than 10 years. And now, as a rule, the sort of planting conditions, what are we what are we looking at as the, the best case scenario to get the performance from these guys? Yeah. So the only, only real requirements are good sunlight and free draining soil is what we mm. say. So if one has clay soil, um, the roots aren't deep roots, so one just has to raise the soil, um, you know, 10 centimetres or so for the smaller growing ones, as long as the water can drain away. The only thing they don't like is to be put in wet feet in a in an area that's boggy, which doesn't yes. drain. Yeah, yeah, pretty but, typical of, of most of the succulents. And I imagine they do quite well in, in pots, provided you, obviously, you wouldn't want to pick one of the top-heavy varieties, but the, the yes. lower-growing forms that do very well in pots. Now, those flowers, I, I would imagine that they'd be pretty nectar-rich. Are they are they good for our, our pollinators and our native wildlife? Are you finding that they're, they're good for attracting all of those guys to the garden? Well, the, you know, it's funny, that's one of the... The, the, the things that gardeners seem to be most excited about is because many of our gardens are very, um, well, perhaps even dull in winter because we don't have a lot of flowers, and with that we don't have a lot of wildlife. But because aloes are, are, are winter 
flowering or, or predominantly autumn and winter flowering. Um, mo- well, certainly the the aloe range are most of the um, uh, um, at that time bees and birds just flood to gardens and and it really real becomes you know one's garden is a, is a hive of activity mm. with and and Adam, it's not just the um, the you know the uh, nectar feeding birds because you get other insects. The in- insect feeding birds come in, and um, yeah, it it that really does um, uh, create create a lot of activity. Mm, no, that's that's awesome. It's a it's certainly an extra extra benefit. It's not just us that enjoy them. Now, just uh, before we wrap up, have you got uh, a couple of design and style tips for using them, Michael? Yes. Uh, we see yes we do. Um, I um, you know, people can plant, and people many people think of aloes having a, a total monoculture. I, I actually prefer them just to be used as a garden plant. So, you know, if you have any sort of this, you not don't be locked in stylistically. Um, many people think, oh no, you can have must have a Santa Fe sort of Californian desert type garden for these. Aloes will grow with daisies. They'll grow with any companion plants, so there's no there's no uh, need to to restrict them to to harsh environments. Um, mm. uh, you know, so we see them as as flowering perennials um, to be to be planted with um, other flowering per- perennials. Um, if the other flowering per- perennial uh, commands more water, the aloe will survive with more water. Mm. It doesn't need a lot of water. The aloe will survive with less water as long as the water drains away so so that's my big thing is don't um don't just plant aloes you know you can um but um don't be restricted to to planting them with a you know with plants that are are, are um just desert type plants mm, so don't be afraid to mix them up yeah no that's a that's a great tip i, I must admit I, I love the foliage form so I, I like them against where they could be really highlighted against a wall you know so or a fence so you can you can get that that real feel of the architectural form well look michael that is absolutely awesome thank you very much for your time you know i think they're a wonderful sustainable addition to just about any garden and if folks want to find out more and to see the full flower color range which just is worth looking at alone visit at allo-allo.com.au Gardening by the Moon with Milton Black Hi Milton, how are you? Very well, Jen, and uh, we could be in for a little bit of rain this week, hopefully, because oh. the, the moon is actually entering into Scorpio mm-hmm. uh, on the 28th, and that's a water sign, and it's also in the 29th as well, and it's a new moon. So I've got a feeling we could be in the next couple of weeks, we could be in for a little bit of a shower or two, and uh, that would be great for the gardens and good for the farmers as yes, well. Excellent. Well, on the 28th, of course, uh, moon and Scorpio at uh, 6.29 in the morning and uh, also uh, the actual moon slips into the, the positive at one thirty-eight. So I would suggest no planting on the 28th because a new moon, mm-hmm. but on the 29th, that is a fabulous day, Tuesday the 29th, for all above ground crops. 
So, again, you can put your lettuce and your tomatoes, your capsicum, anything that grows above the ground. And you can also plant your perennials and uh, have a little um, look at – roses can still go in if you've uh, got some there. Mm-hmm. And uh, anything to do with above-ground flowers, etc. Now, the moon enters Sagittarius on the 30th, and it stays in Sagittarius on the 31st as well. And, um, of course, that is uh, – two days that are basically a no-no planting because they're non-fertile signs. But what I'd suggest you do is just pot around your garden, water, and uh, just do the general little bit of maintenance. You can put a little bit of minor fertiliser there, but not heavy fertilising, but uh, mainly watering. But you may not need the water if it's going to rain, I was just going to say that, now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, the, the moon enters Capricorn on Friday, the 1st of November. Now, that's uh, going to be at 12.38. Now, Friday is a good day for planting above-ground crops again mm-hmm. and uh, perennials, etc. And uh, you'll find also in November is, um, is, the, is starting to get warmer, starting to get a little bit hotter. So you've got to pre- be prepared if there's no rain around to keep your plants cool. Mm-hmm. And don't forget to put some netting over your tomatoes and things like that so the birds can't come and pick, and especially Those your fruit pesky trees, etc. Yes. Pesky possums, that's right. But the moon's in Capricorn Friday the 1st, excellent for above ground, same on Saturday. Uh, and you can actually plant Saturday and Sunday for above-ground crops and do as much gardening as you like there because the moon doesn't enter into the non-fertile sign of Aquarius until 9.19 p.m. on Sunday night. So the uh, from the 1st through to the 3rd, excellent for above-ground planting. Now, the first quarter of the moon comes in Aquarius at 8.23 p.m. on Monday. So most people are going to work anyhow Monday the the 4th. So you can forget about gardening on that day. And uh, the moon's in Aquarius right through until 9 o'clock in the morning on Wednesday when it moves into the fertile sign of Pisces. So that's a very good day for gardening is Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. So you've got three days there, the 6th, 7th and 8th mm-hmm. for, again, all above-ground crops. You know, your tomatoes, your capsicum, your lettuce, etc., etc. And your cucumbers. And you can plant all your perennials in there too. Cucumbers as well. Absolutely. So the 6th, 7th and 8th. Now the moon moves into Aries on the 9th, Saturday the 9th, and uh, also up until the, the 10th. Now, those are two non-fertile signs. So what I'd suggest you do, if you've got something planned for the weekend, go off and do that rather than fiddle in your garden. But if you want to just weed and just uh, pot around in your garden, then the 9th and the 10th are two days. But no planting on those, those two days at all. Well, you can go so and visit somebody else's the... garden and get inspiration. Well, that's, it could do, could do. But... Um, it's it's really a good day, a good couple of days there just to, uh, you know, prepare for the following week because this is where the uh, the moon comes up to a full moon and we're going to be looking uh, from the uh, 11th onwards for below ground planting. So it's all above ground planting for this week on those days. Right. Now, just as a little thing too, Yeah. why did the cow go in the spaceship? Did you know why the cow... (laughs) You get me every time. I have no idea. Okay. Okay. It wanted to see the moon. Oh, of course. Of course. 
Fantastic. We'll see you next time, Milton. Catch you then. Well, that was another great episode, Jen. What do you reckon? Certainly was, Adam. And we'll be back in two weeks' time with more Garden Chat. But in the meantime, where can people find you? Well, the easiest way is to jump onto YouTube and just search Adam Woodhams and they'll find my channel there with all sorts of videos on garden things and DIY and landscape and other odds and ends there. Fantastic. And if you want more garden inspiration before the next episode... Follow us on Instagram. You can find us at BHGAUS. If you enjoyed this episode of Garden Better, then please take a moment to rate and review the show and don't forget to press that big old subscribe button. It's the best way to stay in touch with what we're doing and make sure you keep on top of every single episode. So we'll see you next time, Jen. You bet. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com